0: We're continuing in uh, our studies in Galatians and in uh, Paul's letter to the church and in uh, its continuing relevance to us here in 21st century Northern Ireland. So uh, let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Galatians. And we're reading from chapter 5, and it's on page 1172 of the church Bibles. That's 1172. I'm reading from chapters 5, verse 13 to 25. And Paul writes this to the church. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. So over the past few weeks, looking at the book of Galatians, we've seen that the main thrust of Paul's letter is the restating of that wonderful gospel truth of, of salvation by grace alone in Christ alone, and the wonderful freedom that the believer in Christ has. And so today we see Paul urging urging us to be thankful for that salvation and that freedom and to live a life worthy of such a calling. He says in verse 13, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We have been set free from sin and death by Jesus, His death and resurrection for us. And and so the Christian life now is is to reflect that love, the love that God has for us, the love that He has given us. Our lives are to reflect His love for us and our love for him, our love for our neighbor, our love even for ourselves. But the question is, how can we live up to such a high calling? How can we display a gospel-shaped character in our lives? And so today we'll be looking at some attitudes and actions that either help us or hinder us as we seek to be disciples of Jesus doing that displaying his character in the world around us and our, amongst our families and our friends and our communities and our colleagues. <clears throat> but I don't know, if you're anything like me, don't you so often feel that you so often fall short of displaying Jesus in your life? And why do? <clears throat> don't we often feel like there's a war going on inside us between what we should do and what we actually do. And please don't misunderstand this. We don't strive to avoid the acts of the sinful nature and display more of the fruit of the Spirit somehow in order to earn our salvation or to win God's favor. No, no, if we thought that, we would have, that would be to miss the whole point of Paul's whole letter. We seek to avoid the acts of sin and to display more of the Spirit as a way of saying thank you. Thank you Lord, thank you Father for the salvation and the freedom that he has given us as a gift. As a gift purchased by Jesus at the cross at Calvary for us and received by us as we put our trust in him. Paul tells us here that every believing Christian has been born of the Spirit. We've been born again from above. God has taken up residence inside us. Imagine if all the places in the universe that God could choose to live. He chose to live in me, he chose to live in you. But you see, at the same time, there's something of our old sinful nature remains. And there is a war going on. There is a war raging inside every one of us. The truth is, as Paul writes in verse 17, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature? They are in conflict with each other. So what about these desires of the sinful nature? What are they? Well, Paul writes in verse 19 that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They are all the desires of our fallen nature, and they are plain to be seen. Paul addresses four areas here. They are areas of sexuality, religion, relationships and substance abuse. The desires of the sinful nature. Verses 19 to 21. And Danny thought he had got the difficult passage. (laughs) That's not. The desires of the sinful nature. Firstly, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. You see, these all relate to areas of sexuality. And the world has often taken a very licentious approach to sex. And the church has perhaps been perceived as taking a very negative approach to it. But neither view is particularly helpful or healthy or or biblical. God created sex as a gift for men and women to be enjoyed as the, the deepest expression of love within marriage and for legitimate procreation. The Bible tells us that God's idea of marriage is always and only between one man and one woman. Sexual immorality refers to to sexual intercourse between unmarried people and, and any kind of unlawful sexual behavior. Impurity refers to unnatural sexual practices or relationships. And debauchery, that refers to uncontrolled sexual activity. Immorality, impurity, debauchery. These words are sufficient to show that all sexual offenses, whether public or private, whether between married or unmarried, natural or unnatural... They can be classed as acts of the sinful nature. And they are to be avoided by those who strive to live by the Spirit. Then Paul goes on. It just gets better. Idolatry and witchcraft. Verse 28. This refers to religion. The area of religion. False religion. Idolatry. Idolatry and witchcraft. You see, idolatry is the open worship of false gods. Or the worship of anything that comes between us and the one true God of the Bible. It's important to understand that idolatry is as much an act of the sinful nature as immorality. And witchcraft, witchcraft is a secret tampering with the powers of evil. Verse 20b and 21, uh, Paul refers to the realm of relationships and, and how acts of the sinful nature can destroy them. Paul lists them here. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Well, we might say that four of these are destructive attitudes, and they are selfish ambition, envy, jealousy, and hatred. And four of them describe the results of allowing these attitudes in our relationships. Discord, fits of rage, dissensions, and factions. And finally, in verse 21, Paul refers to what we might call substance abuse. He talks about drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And you see, these two words are are really linked. Paul here is talking about drinking orgies. And one of the acts of the sinful nature is addiction to pleasure, and addiction to pleasure creating substances and behavior. So that's Paul's list of, of things that are obvious and that, or can display the sinful nature within us. But here's the thing, lest we think that all this stuff is for somebody else. Let's remember who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the church. And you see, I believe that, that any of us could commit any of these acts of the sinful nature, given the right or the wrong circumstances. We could we all have our own particular areas of weakness and we all need to be on our guard. And you see, some of us might read quickly through this list, starting with sexual immorality and, and finish with orgies and the like and think, well, none of that stuff really applies to me. And that may or may not be the case, but, but let's just slow down a little bit as we skip through that middle section. What about some of these attitudes? What about selfish ambition, for instance? What are our motives for some of the decisions that we make around the choice of partner or career or anything? What about envy or jealousy or have we ever coveted our neighbor's house or car or job or partner? What about dissensions and factions? Would we ever do anything that would bring division amongst fellow Christians, amongst our neighbors, amongst our work colleagues? Oh yes, and of course we will see some of these things, we will see some of these acts of the sinful nature evident in other people, won't we? Oh yes. But, but, but really as far as dealing with these things goes, it, it really is a matter, isn't it, as Jesus said, of dealing with the log in our own eye first. So we see that Paul addresses four areas, sexuality, religion, relationships, and substance abuse. And then in this passage, he he adds that solemn warning in verse 21. He says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when we find ourselves falling short in any of these areas, that should drive us to repentance and drive us into God's grace, drive us back into his embrace. For there is forgiveness aplenty when we repent of any of these acts of the sinful nature. There is. The Bible assures us. That's why Jesus came. He came to bear away our sins. And the Bible assures us when we repent of any of these things, God blots out our sins and he remembers them no more. That's exactly what it says. He blots out our sins and remembers them no more. I love that God has a selective memory. He blots out my sins and remembers it no more. But he has my name in his book of life. He blots out your sins and remembers them no more. But he never forgets you. He never forgets you. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news. But you see, someone who continually indulges in the sinful nature without battling against them, well, must ask themselves, Have I allowed Christ to redeem me? Have I allowed him to take up residence within me by his Spirit? Have I surrendered to him? Am I living for him? You see, Paul calls us back afresh to the the cross and to Christ. And, And Paul is not undermining Christian assurance here. He's not. But he's warning us against complacency. We have a high calling. So these are the desires of the the sinful nature on one hand. What about the fruit of the Spirit then on the other hand? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the, the fruit of the Spirit covers every area of our lives. It refers to how we relate to God, to our neighbor, and to ourselves. And we can deal with the fruit of the Spirit in three sets of three, and in that order. The first set, love, joy, and peace. These are our three general, what we might call graces, Christian graces. Yet they are primarily concerned with our attitude towards God. For as Christians, our first love is for God. For God himself. And we love him because he first loved us. You see, the opposite to love is fear. But the phrase, do not fear. It's the most God-given phrase in all of Scripture. Do not fear. For God's perfect love casts out all fear. And sets us free to live for him. Joy, our chief joy, is is God's joy. We delight in God simply because of who he is. The opposite of of joy is hopelessness or despair. But look, he is the God of all hope. And his joy is our strength. Are we displaying his joy in our lives? So one Christian writer uh, I listened to recently, Jeff Lucas... And he said, in the church where I grew up, there were people there and they used to sing, I've got that joy, 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 down in my heart, down in my heart. And and Jeff Lucas says, and maybe they had, but it didn't look like it. And it looked like it would have taken a nuclear explosion to bring it to the surface. (laughs) Joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Praise God. Peace. Our deepest peace is, is that peace that passes all understanding that only our God can give us. We confidently rest in the wisdom and control of God and not in our own. The opposite is worry and anxiety. But Christ himself tells us not to worry for God knows our every need. And of course God gives us peace with himself. God makes peace with us through the shed blood of Christ while we were yet sinners. While we were yet at war with God, Christ died for us. You see, in the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator, mankind declared war on God. But at the cross of Calvary, as Jesus bore away the sins of the world, God declared peace on us. God declared peace on us. The war is over. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he has reconciled us to himself and given us a peace that passes all understanding. On appearing to his disciples following his death and resurrection, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you. We have this peace that God gives us that the world cannot take away. So these first three parts of the the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, they're primarily our attitude towards God and our relationship with Him. The next three parts of the fruit, patience, kindness, and goodness, they're what we might call social, social virtues. They're more about our relationship with one another. They're primarily manward rather than Godward. Godward. The first of these is patience. And yes, we know that patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman and never in a... Nah, I don't believe that. (laughs) But patience is a virtue. Patience is a virtue that I guess is often in short supply in all of us. Patience is that ability to face trouble without heading out or blowing up. Patience is having the ability when we're dealing with other people to wait and wait and maybe to wait some more and still be graceful. Kindness. Kindness is the ability to serve others in a way that seeks no reward or no return for doing so. Kindness is about serving other people in a way that makes me vulnerable. It's the opposite to meanness. It's the opposite to clinging to everything that is mine and not sharing the blessings that God has given me. And goodness, goodness speaks of integrity. Being the same person in every situation. Goodness is grace and truth together. The Bible tells us over and over and over that God is good. And when he shows up in human form on earth, John tells us that he was full of grace and truth. That's the goodness that we want to bear. Grace and truth together. And the third set, the third triplet in this cluster of the fruit of the spirit, are faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These describe the reliability of a Christian and cover our attitude towards ourselves. Faithfulness speaks of loyalty and courage to be utterly true to our word, to be true to ourselves and true to others. The opposite of being faithful is to be a fake, to be a phony. Gentleness, gentleness, gentleness is, is meekness, but it's not weakness. It's humility, but it's not inferiority. Gentleness is power under control. And self-control is the ability to say yes when we should say yes and no when we should say no. It's the ability to get our priorities right, to weigh things up and think things through and not just respond on an impulse or an uncontrolled way. So this cluster of of nine Christian graces makes up the fruit of the Spirit and they cover our attitude to God, to our fellow man, and to ourselves. These are the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that should naturally appear in the life of a Spirit-led believer as as Jesus develops a gospel-shaped character within us. It's no wonder that Paul said there's no law against these things. For you see, the law was given to restrain and restrict, but no restriction or restraint is needed in these things. So, how can we increasingly display less of the old sinful nature and more of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, very briefly. Firstly, we remember that we belong to Christ. We are His, bought and paid for by Him at Calvary. There is a conflict going on inside, but the victory is assured. And the decisive battle over sin and death and the devil was won by Christ at his death and resurrection. What is going on inside us now is what the military would call a mopping up exercise. You see, as we yield our lives to Christ, he will mop up those pockets of resistance that still exist in our hearts. So we remember that we belong to him. Secondly, we need to remember that by ourselves we can't do it by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. He can. He can. Submission to the Holy Spirit alone can keep us free and make us the sort of God glorifying people that He wants us to be. That's what Paul says here in verse 25. We live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That's how we do it. And you see, this passage is simply full of the Holy Spirit. Paul mentions the Spirit by name seven times in these verses. And living is an ongoing thing. Living by the Spirit is an ongoing thing. Keeping in step with the Spirit is an ongoing thing. Literally, step by step. And you see, keeping in step with the Spirit implies progress. He leads us from where we are to where he wants us to be. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to live godly, fruit-producing lives that honor Him. You see, as we tune into God, His Word and His Spirit, He helps us to overcome the old sinful nature and live lives that glorify Him. And when when Paul uses his words here, he chooses them very carefully. He talks of the fruit of the Spirit. The choice of the word fruit, it, it, it takes us to the world of agriculture. And it tells us four things about how the Spirit works very important. Firstly, Christian growth is gradual. We may wish for, for more speed or more haste or, or, or to see more and more but, and then be disappointed at times, but Christian growth is gradual, it, like as an apple or, or a potato growing. Now, I know about these things. I live in Cumber. <laughs> and of course, we produce the best potatoes in the world. But look, they don't just spring up overnight. They don't. I see the guys out there planting them in the springtime. And they, then they grow and they mature gradually over a period of time before the fruit, as it were, is fully formed and ready for harvesting. Fruit grows gradually, and the fruit of the Spirit grows gradually. Sometimes quicker, sometimes slower. But it doesn't just happen overnight. Secondly, the growth of the Spirit's fruit is inevitable, it's inevitable, it will grow. A friend of mine works in a tree nursery and every autumn just around this time of the year he puts on a, a backpack and he goes out around the various, uh, the various country parks uh, and he collects uh, the seeds that have fallen from the trees, oak and beech and chestnut uh, and he takes them back to the tree nursery and he puts them in little trays. And in the springtime when I go visit and I go and I look in those trays, guess what's in them? Yes, little green shoots little oak and beech and chestnut trees. They're there. The seeds inevitably grow. And if we have the, the Spirit in us, the fruit will inevitably grow. It may take time, but the fruit will grow. And that's encouraging for us For as we often think about the hard ground in our own lives. But the Spirit will gently, gently but surely, push the fruit to the surface. To grow as we submit to Him. Thirdly, the fruit of the Spirit has internal roots, just like the fruits, the roots of a tree, they're underground. It's a deep internal or underground change that takes place within us. As we allow God's spirit to dwell and to work in us and to develop our Christian character. You see, apples on a tree are evidence of life throughout the whole tree. Life originating deep down in the roots. Good roots produce good fruit, and it can never be the other way around. You see, we cannot have a few of these characteristics and then think, well, that will produce the change. No, that will be like hanging a few good apples on a dead apple tree. And that really won't do any good at all. No, it must be the other way around. Allowing the Spirit to dwell in us and to, to have control of our hearts, to control all of us from the inside out, from the roots to the shoots. That's what produces a healthy tree. That's what produces a healthy life that displays the fruit of the Spirit. And fourthly and lastly, Christian growth is symmetrical. It's symmetrical. Notice how Paul uses the singular word fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Paul doesn't talk about fruits of the Spirit. He uses a singular word fruit to describe a whole list of things that will grow in the Spirit-filled Christian. And you see, it's not a list from which we can pick and choose. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, there are some areas where we're stronger than others. But we can't say, yeah, I'll have a little bit more kindness because I'm fairly good at that. But joy, no, that's just not my thing. We can't say that. The real fruit of the Spirit will always grow together. They are one. And so as we place ourselves under the control of the Holy Spirit... As we open ourselves to Him, as we allow Him to work in us, He will bring forth His fruit in our lives. It will be gradual, it will be inevitable, it will be deep-rooted, and it will be symmetrical, containing all the elements of the fruit of the Spirit in increasing measure. So just as I finish, as I said at the start, a true Christian life, a gospel character, reflects the love and the freedom which God has given us. And it demonstrates a love for him, for our neighbor, and for ourselves. How do we live up to such a high calling? Well, we do this by crucifying the old nature. We do this with God's grace and with God's help. And we do this by remembering that we belong to Christ, by living by the Spirit, and by keeping in step with him. To the praise of his glorious name. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that by your grace alone, through Jesus' death and resurrection, you have forgiven us and set us free to live lives for you. Father, we ask that you would please send your Holy Spirit into this place and into our lives afresh. Holy Spirit, we we invite you to come, come and take full control of our lives. We surrender ourselves to you. Come into our hearts and search us and mop up those areas of resistance that are in our lives. By your grace, bring forth in us more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Develop in us a gospel-shaped character so that others might see the fruit of the Spirit and the love of God in our lives and be drawn to you and give you praise. We pray all these things for your glory and in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Come